I've entitled the message today, probably could have come up with a better title, but this is what it ended up being. Uh, where does Jesus go to church? I'm sure we could get a debate on that between the Methodists, the Baptists, and the Catholics, and the Presbyterians, but that's not what this is about, all right? The Bible says where two or more gathered together, I'll be in their midst. That doesn't mean that church is going on, though. But the Bible has some interesting things to say, and I think they're very appropriate at the Christmas season, because Jesus is the reason for the season, and what we want to do is lift him up, and the church's number one thing is to do just that. But there's a problem in the land. There's a problem in the world. The word church does not mean what it used to mean. And today, I think that you will see this. So I want to begin by reading from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I say also to you that you are Peter, who's talking to Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear you. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture, let me say it again, all Scripture, for the third time you say it with me, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now listen carefully. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou. In all things, endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. Amen. It could be said 
today, rather than talking about the state of the church, it may have become the state of confusion. I would submit to you this morning, early in this message, that there's a lot of confusion about what church is and what it's to be. That word has been beat around a lot. There are a lot of things that are called church that the scripture would rebuke very, very strongly. How would you describe the church of today? I, don't, I, I do not care whether you're a PhD in theology or this is the first time you ever heard a message from the Bible. I would ask you, how do you describe the church today as you know the church today in total? What would you say? Let me be a little more specific. How would you describe the church that you pray for, give to, attend, serve in? How would you describe that church? If somebody were to put you on a witness stand and say, I want you to tell me everything you know about church based on your experience, what would you say? What would you say? I'll give you another question. How long has it been since you heard a sermon on improving yourself, improving your self-esteem, or how you could get better, and how you could get more spiritual, and how you could do things differently? How long has it been since you heard, as you go through the television dial, as you listen to all the, the sermons today, uh, will those kind of things be in there. For those that feel bad, you want to feel good. Those that have no money, you want to find out how to have more money. Well, what about the church you attend? How would you describe it? Compare that question to when is the last time that you turned on the television, you turned on the radio, you walked into a building, it was Sunday morning and it was church, and you heard a sermon preached on the atonement that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. The judgment that we'll all stand before the Lord one day and be judged. On heaven, on hell, on repentance, on self-denial, on sacrifice. How many sermons will be preached in the pulpits of America today on any of those? compared to how to look better, feel better, be more prosperous, et cetera, et cetera. That's the question that I throw out to all of us. And the question is, what would Jesus want? Did Jesus really come and die on a cross so we'd be happier and more prosperous and more productive and have more friends and just sort of have a wonderful time and feel good and just get blessed for an hour is that the reason God sent his only begotten son into the world? Have you read the New Testament as to how churches got started and why they got started and what they did when they did get started and what the priority was? Do you even know what the priority of Jesus was when he came to this earth? He came to seek and to save those which are lost. He told his bride, the church, I want you to teach people 
my holiness, tell them about sin, tell them about righteousness, tell them about who I am, and tell them about who Satan is. And as you do it, expect not for your numbers to necessarily grow, they may just become stale, or they may even go the other direction. So think with me. Sometimes I wonder if the church is following Jesus or if the church in general has become the adversary. I wonder if more hurt is being done than good to those that are lost. Those that do not know Jesus. Those that have never heard that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. They've never heard that whosoever will may come. They've never heard that except you repent, you're going to perish. They've never heard that Jesus is coming again. They've never heard this. But I believe when Jesus is here, you hear that because that's what he taught. That's why he came. That's the reason he laid down his life. That's the reason he sent the Holy Spirit to fill the lives of his children so they would have the power over Satan as well as the power to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in a world that has turned its back on Christ. Jesus never told us to grow churches. I thank God that Sagemont has been a growing church for a half a century. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to grow the church. We're not called to go out and knock on the doors and ask people, do you come to church? No. Well, what would it take for you to come to church? Well, if you did this and do that, I'd be there. No, 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 no. No, Jesus said, you lift me up. If I don't draw them, it's not church. People that come to church ought to be able to hear truth. People that come to church because they feel like they have a need for something that they've missed in life need to know what that need is and how to have it met. Jesus said, lift me up and I will build my church. It's never changed. It's never changed. God help us, church family and fellow Christians. God help us if we choose our methodology, our music, our psychology, our plan, our meetings in order that our goal is to build a church rather than our goal being to bring a lost humanity to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ by his grace, which is sufficient. There's a lot of people that live in Houston that don't have enough money to buy their salvation. There's a lot of people in Houston that have more money they don't think they need to be saved. But salvation is free. The blood of Christ cleanses. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin in any denomination of churches. It's the blood, it's the blood, it's the blood, it's the blood. Question is, turn down the dials and see how many times you hear the word blood in the church. Listen, something's happening, and it's tragic.
it's tragic. And except we repent, we're going to all likewise perish. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How do we thank God when we come to church? We praise him with our music. We give his, give back to him our offerings. We pray and we ask God to come here and to touch people and to help people and to love people and to encourage people. We pray for the sick to be healed. We pray for those that are in mourning to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. And all of these things are part of it. But before the church plans its future as to how we can grow, we need to always in the future remember it's not about growth. It is about changing people's lives to where we can be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Well, if you were going to say, how do you do that, preacher? Well, you teach the Word. You make disciples instead of add up members. You equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you love people that are in the family. And you commit together to go to the uttermost part of the world and tell the people that Jesus loves you just like he loves the people where we live. If we teach people what other people are saying rather than the word of God, we encourage our listeners to trust man instead of God. Let me tell you what a pulpit is for. A pulpit is to teach this book. We're not called to preach the books of writers that write books about this book. <laughs> this is the book. Amen. Years ago, we had a, I think it was Stan Freeberg had a little funny thing he did on the radio called, it's in the book, it's in the book, it's in the book. Well, that's where, that's where the gospel is. It's in the book. Amen. This is where it is, okay? It's not what Professor Know Nothing thinks about it because he has been to school and he knows more than the God that created the heavens and the earth. It's not about that. It's Amen. thus saith the Lord. Go back and read the churches in the New Testament. They preach the Word of God. Inerrant, inspired, infallible. And God blessed it. And God changed people's lives. We're blessed because of that. In the book of Titus, in the first chapter, verse 9 through 11, it says, Holding fast the faithful word, he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. Now listen. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Why is it? that people can watch and listen to those that are proclaiming rank hypocrisy Amen. to gain great wealth, great wealth, Amen. great personal wealth in the name 
of the suffering Savior and the crucified and resurrected Lord and soon coming King. Why can't people recognize that? Well, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I heard a commercial twice yesterday. I hate that it's on this product, but since it is, I, don't, I guess I don't hate it either, okay? I'll tell you what the commercial was. It was about smoking. I learned yesterday, twice, that they have come up with a substitute for tobacco that has causes cancer. And they bashed it for about a minute. That nasty, stinking, smelly, burns holes in your clothes, makes your breath smell bad, and your teeth turn yellow, and on and on and on. And then they said about their product, hey, it ain't good either. <laughs> it is habitual. We are yet to see all the diseases it's causing. And yet people are sitting in our restaurants blowing that stuff up in the air. And it's on the radio twice because I heard it yesterday when they come at the end and say we're just as bad as tobacco, but at least you can switch over. <laughs> Don't think so. That's like jumping out of the right side of the airplane when it's flying or the left side of the airplane when it's flying. I'm not jumping out of the airplane if it's flying. That's my theology on that. But you know what? If by being people pleasers, we choose not to make people uncomfortable, and I know I've, I can look out and see some of you very uncomfortable already. But what we do is we don't tell people how to get saved because we're afraid they'll offend them. Hey, folks, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. You're no better than anybody else. I'm no better than anybody else, and I'm no worse than anybody else. The only way I got saved was by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you're going to get saved. And God has a plan for your life, every single one of us. When there's no conviction, where there is no confession, where there is no repentance, there is no salvation. Let me say that again. Where there is no conviction, no confession, and no repentance, there is no salvation. There's no other name given among men where we must be saved. And we make a big mistake if we think that people that like us <laughs> will like our Savior. We want to be the friendly, happy, come on, let's hug your neck. We want you to like us, and we want to like you. But that's not what church is. We want to love him. I want to love him, and I want you to love him. I want you to love him, worship him, serve him, support him, walk with him, say yes when he says, will you help me? And that you'll do that as long as you live. Amen. I was shocked when I came across this statistic. My source is the Hartford Institute for Religion Research. 
at the Hartford Seminary, here was the results of their survey. 42% of megachurches said evangelism is a minor activity in our congregation. 42%. When have you heard the last sermon on repentance in heaven and hell? Gets right back to the first of the message that I've tried to share with you this morning. Luke 19 and 10. Listen to this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which are lost. Amen. And that's the message of the church. It is not to build social relationship. It's not to where you're supposed to meet your wife or your husband. It's a good place to look. It's a lot better than the bars. But that's not the purpose. That's a side benefit. That just kind of comes along with the package. Because you know what happens? When you get Jesus, you get everything. When you get Jesus, he'll pick out your mate. And the mate he'll pick out will be better than the one that you're looking for. And you can talk to any lawyer and they'll assure you of that. Or go sit in any courtroom and they'll, well, I just thought he was Mr. Wonderful. No, he was, he was Mr. Sinner. And he was either saved or lost. And if he's lost, you sure enough have a bad time. If he's saved, though, it could be the one that God led into your life. Amen. Here's another thing they came up with. The more recently a megachurch was founded, the greater the likelihood the pastor has a less formal education. I challenge you to research that. Where did the education come with the one that stands on the platform? How did they become so charismatic to communicate with people? Is it because of the Word of God or is it because of looks, presentation? What is it? The research says the more recently a megachurch was founded, the greater the likelihood that the pastor has a formal education. You need to know, folks, who's teaching you. Amen. And where did they get their stuff? Well, it's cool. I just laughed my head off. Wow, I just thought that's the greatest thing I ever heard. Would it come out of the Bible? If it, if it didn't, enjoy it, but don't make it your lifestyle. Thus saith the Lord is all you want to know. Amen. And if you don't know the Word, you can't preach the Word, and you can't teach the Word. And if you start picking somebody else's theology for your theology, you may pick the wrong theology. History is going to prove, I'm not a prophet, but history is going to prove that when preachers, churches, denominations, and Christian schools try to make friends with the world, they're going to lose their influence in society and spiral downward. We are not to conform to this world. This book says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and your heart and your spirit. Now that goes for the church, that goes for the individual, that goes for your family, that goes for your business. Whatever you do, that's what it's supposed to be. And if we sit back and say, no, I'm just going to let it go, just let it go. Jesus said in John 7, 7, the world hates me. That's what Jesus said. The world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Jesus says, because I tell the worldly people 
that they are sinners, they hate me, even though I am the way to eternal life. I am the cleanser. I am the one that can take them where they are on the sinking sand going farther and farther down. I lift them up, and if they can't walk, I will carry them where I want them to go. But they have rejected me because I just don't like to hear those words like hell. I just don't like to hear those words. Come to our church. We'll just love you, and we'll drink Starbucks together, and we'll just have a blast. We'll be the coolest thing in the neighborhood. But you know what? When we stand before a holy God, the neighborhood isn't going to be there. We're going to stand alone. And when we stand alone, and the Father says, why should I let you into my kingdom? You know what I believe is going to happen to those of you that know the Lord and those of us that know the Lord? I think Jesus is going to say, Father, I speak for them. Welcome them. But those that reject the blood of the Son of God will be turned away according to the Scriptures forever and forever and forever. Because they were worse than the people went to church? No. But because they rejected the only begotten Son of God. Jesus must be lifted up. And every song we sing, every word we speak, everything that we do, every plan we make for the future, our plans are to raise today among our students a great Christian generation and to be a part of seeing our students come to know the Lord, we hope, when they're children, disciple as teenagers, and go off to school and be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. But it's all because... Of Jesus, 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 Jesus. James 4, 4. Listen to this. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Certainly we can understand that. We don't have to receive it. You can reject it. But I'm begging you not to. I'm begging you not to. Jesus will always, always, always be offensive to the people who reject the truth because he is the truth. He is the way. Those that perish, the Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. You're looking at a man that's sat in the midst of spiritual leaders that have heard basically the same thing. Well, our church is doing this. Our church, we don't give an invitation anymore. We found out this and that, blah, 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 blah. Every single word they speak is speaking word against the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. This church has been blessed for a half of a century because Jesus has the preeminence. He is first. If not our ways, it's his ways. When we find ourselves on a course that we ought not be on, we are willing to say, We were wrong, we confess, and get back on the right track. We must continue to do that in all the days to come. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. So I close 
and I will give you these real quick. A Christ-centered church, here's my list, will preach and teach the Word of God. If they don't, they're not a church, according to the New Testament. Number two, they'll address real spiritual needs rather than imagine felt needs. It's not how we feel, it's what is the truth. Number three, they'll proclaim absolute truth. The truth will be the Scripture. The truth will be Jesus. He is the truth. A Christ-centered church will take seriously, very seriously, the warnings of the Scripture. Itching ears, vain repetition, empty philosophies, secular humanism, worldly wisdom, perverse teaching, wolves in sheep's clothing, and take seriously the warnings of the Scripture. Number five, they will give people a chance to confess and repent and be born again. I just want to see people invited to Jesus. Hey, you have not because you ask not. It's okay to pray out in the parking lot with the parking attendants and say, you know, I was going out of here and I've just got conviction. Would you pray with me? I should have prayed inside the church, went to Connection Center, but I didn't. But I want to get saved, and I'm not getting out on that freeway until I know that I know that if I'm in the big one, that I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Every real church will give people an opportunity to be saved. Number six. A real church will love God and it'll love people. And number seven, a real church will allow God to supply its needs. God's word is our sole authority. God's wealth is adequate. And God's grace is sufficient. I want you to think with me today as you leave the building. And I want you to ask yourself the question, None of us know what another day is going to bring. A lot of us are going to live a lot longer than we thought we would. Others are going to die a lot sooner than we thought we would. But we need to go out of here today as we have an open door before us, as we have introduced in vision, and how we're going to try to surround our children as they become teenagers and all the way through college to try to put our arms around them and help them to be prepared for the world that's out there just waiting to chop them off. And I want you to ask yourself, where do I fit into all of this? What church am I going to be a part of? If God were to bless me, what would I do with it? If somebody ever asks you, well, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? I've heard that kind of question, and it's kind of trivial. But you know, if you have the widow's might, what are you going to do with it? If you're a teenager, what are you going to do with your life? If you're a child, what are you going to do with your life? If you're a young adult, what are you going to do with your life? If you're married, what are you going to do with your life? If you're a senior adult, retired, widowed, widower, what are you going to do? <laughs> the real church says, well, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to lift him up. And we believe he's going to draw people unto him. And so as we go away today, I want you to keep in the back of your mind 
that Jesus is here because we've gathered in his name. I want you to keep in mind that no one can take your place. I want you to keep in mind the scripture says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of a people whose heart is perfect towards him. As we see the changes in our culture and the changes in our world, and we hear the weather reports, and we hear about the fires and the floods, and we hear the political reports, and we hear about the, the stock market and all this going on, listen, if we'll just be still and know that he is God, it's going to be okay. I thank God that you're here today. I thank God that we have an opportunity to send people out to the uttermost part of the earth. But I want you to pray that here at Sagemont on this campus, that we will be living proof of a loving God to a watching world until Jesus comes again. And that we'll do everything possible to make Jesus want to spend a whole lot of time here using our church and blessing our church by letting us be a blessing to others.